Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Nerd Base Nerd Nerd Bades? Nerd Base podcast. I don't even know the name of my own website. As always, I am your host, Christopher Mannix, and with me today is Not always, Frankie Vitarello from the Digital Press Podcast and Classic Gaming Expo and the Video Game History Museum and PAX East most recently. So let's start off on the on the good foot then. Uh, so tell us about PAX East. You just came back. PAX East was another great year. That's one of the most uh, intense conventions. It's there's typically between sixty and eighty thousand people packed into the Boston Convention Center, uh, and this year was no exception. It was high volume, high excitement, uh, tons of great things from the world of video games and analog games uh it's it's a great convention every year digital press myself and owner joe santuli bring the classic console free play room to pax and if that's not a mouthful i don't know what is (laughs) we essentially set up with a room full of classic consoles and games for people to just sit down and play for a good hour's worth of time and we have tournaments, and we have uh, things that they may have never seen before, systems like the Vectrex, or maybe if they're too young to have experienced an Atari 2600 or an Intellivision or a ColecoVision. We pretty much have everything from Atari through Dreamcast uh, in terms of classic consoles. And this year we also brought exhibits from the Video Game History Museum, which we have complete funding for and is more of a traveling roadshow, but we hope to have a physical museum space at some point in the near future. You should put it up in a uh, Portland, Maine, right by the Cryptozoology oh, Museum. God, if it was in Portland, it would be the Video Game Hipster Museum. And... No, that's Portland, Oregon. I'm saying Portland, Maine. Oh, Portland, Maine? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's more than one Portland? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, shows what I know. I may know <laughs> stuff about video games, but geography... Nah. I'm shaking my head right now. For those of you <laughs> watching at home. <laughs> we'll make a gif of Frankie shaking his head just to uh to put up on the site. <laughs> That'll be the, the the ad for for the podcast where this is just you going, no, 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 bad, bad, bad. <laughs> like that cat that goes, No, 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 no. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I thought you would have. You have a cat? I do have a cat and he's sitting next to me licking himself. I'm also licking myself. Well, you can do that. It's your right, uh, even if it does make me a little uncomfortable, but say lovey. So, anyway, uh, yeah, we're recording here in uh, my my new studio, <coughs> basement apartment, and... Um, you mean bachelor pad. Bachelor pad, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, it's not so bachelor... Well, I guess it is kind of bachelor pad because I'm still on, like, milk crates and foot lockers for a... Uh, TV stand and dining room table. Not well, dining. it ain't bad, but I'll I'll say this as somebody who spends a lot of time watching HGTV, it was it's certainly the before shot in the uh, in the income property show, <laughs> where you know they come down and they're like, we want to rent this so we can pay off half of our mortgage, and they're like, okay, well we we should really rip out this and change this and knock this closet open, and you could have you know more space for an open concept and. We can cover up these load-bearing beams and everything with something nice, but it I'm sure it works. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a mount for a flat screen up there, and I got <laughs> speakers already set up in the in the ceiling here. Very so nice. it's, it's, it's not bad. Anyway, not enough about my apartment that nobody who listens to this, save the people who are actually affiliated with you Nerd Base. You could have lied. You could have said we were broadcasting from a mansion. Yeah, I could have, but, you know, hey, man, honest, with, honesty With golden sells. waterfalls and, and chocolate fountains. Well, Frankie and I used to work at uh, Funko Land together, which eventually got so. And also separate. And separate, yes. <laughs> Different <laughs> but, um, Funko Lands. Yeah, but um, I think uh, the one thing that we we told each other, sort of, not out loud, but uh, we were very honest about our selling when it came to video games. <laughs> like, uh, you know, honesty sells in the respect that oh, this game sucks. Why don't you buy this game instead? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about a salesperson who is willing to prevent you from making a dire mistake when it comes to buying a bad video game. But in my older and wiser years, I think 
I realized that sometimes, you know, people, they want to buy whatever they want to buy. And, and sometimes fighting them and telling them, don't buy this copy of Superman 64 can be more trouble <laughs> than it's worth. But we tried. We tried. Yeah. Well, when I was at GameStop, there was a woman that had come in looking for a game for her son, who was, I think, like eight years old at the time. And the Harry Potter Quidditch World Cup game had just come out, which personally I loved. I thought that was a really fun game. Um, but she was she immediately like cut me off. She goes, "No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving my son any of that witchcraft influence." <laughs> I'm like, "Wait, are you serious?" So she goes, "Well, he's been talking about this Grand Theft Auto game," and I'm like, "It's probably not a great game to buy like a seven, eight year old." Uh, she goes, "Well, you know." I know it's supposed to be kind of bad, but at least it's like, you know, takes place in the real world and, you know, these things actually happen and it's not like, you know, these Satan things. And I'm like, wait, really? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, you don't understand, like, you could beat hookers in the game. And she's like, well, you know, I mean, that happens though. And I'm like, hey, you know, yeah. it, it's funny. <laughs> I had nothing more to say. You know, Grand Theft Auto, for everybody who's ever worked retail, game retail, there's... Always endless stories about kids trying to buy Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, yeah. Um, no shortage of that. So, Frankie, tell us a quick story as I take my acorn squash out of the oven. A quick story. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, once upon a time, there was a little boy named Christopher Mannix who loved acorn squash. It's delicious. He loved it so much that he needed to eat it during his podcast. I just didn't think it would be cooking so much. I had to check the time. I'm sorry. That was fast, though. I, I went and... Don't you want to know how the story ends? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the little boy went to his stove to get his acorn squash, and when he opened it, there was an ogre inside, and it swallowed him whole, and he was never seen again. The end. I have a Lego Bilbo. Is that what you're calling it? <laughs> um, put, put it back in your pants. Sorry. Put it back in your pants. Sorry. Sorry. I don't want to see your Lego Bilbo or whatever you want to call it. Your Hobbit. <laughs> your Scroto Baggins. <laughs> you know, I never got to talk to you about um, The Hobbit, the uh, the most recent Peter Jackson extravaganza. I I was on the opposite end of most of the, the critical hype. I thought that the 60 frames a second or 40 40 frames a second uh 40 well yeah the the cinematic choice of 40 frames a second was spectacular and it added so much to the visual appeal of the film i've never seen an action movie with so much going on in all corners of the screen where everything was in focus and everything was crystal clear at any time you could you could stare at anything going on and there was no confusion and no blur and i mean how many you're an action film fan. How many times in the past 15 or 20 years have you seen sweeping battle scenes that just look like a blur of mush? Oh, all the time. Even I mean, in the original uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, those giant battles full of orcs and yeah, humans like and everything. Helms Deep and all. No, you're absolutely right. I think that's that's been a it's been a film um, uh, a cinematic fad. I think for a lot of cinematographers and directors to have this intense sort of shaky cam like you're in the action yeah. and um which always has just simply driven me up a wall they they did it with a nice artistic twist in the previous uh in the lord of the rings trilogy because you know i like how they would focus in on each of the characters to show a little bit of what they were doing like you know you had the big sweeping uh elephant um slide snowboard move that uh, the elf guy did aka the fred flintstone oh, I, I, can't, I can't get aragorn i'm drinking out of an aragorn mug right now and i can't legolas legolas Le yes legoland legoland um but did you like the the I, 40 frames honestly i went when i went to go see it and i i despise imax i don't despise imax i i have a strong dislike for imax um <laughs> despise is, is, is a very did uh, imax kill word. one of your family members yeah yeah uh, whiplash yeah uh, yeah so anyway um but for the hobbit i wanted the full experience when it came out and i went imax 3d the whole kit and caboodle and you, i you was dipped your your chip in every flavor that peter jackson had to offer exactly and i was just just completely 100 percent 
impressed. There were certain scenes, like in Rivendell, when you have the scene with Gandalf and Galadriel uh, just sitting there uh, schmoozing. And I found myself looking at the background, looking at the scenery, looking at you know the, the just the water yeah. flowing across the rocks, uh, the trees waving in the breeze in the background, and I was just mesmerized. It was so beautifully done. I didn't get any of that. People kept saying that it looked like it was one of those um, video soap opera. I, I just I and I went in expecting that and looking for that level of that motion flow technology that you have on flat screen TVs where if you turn it on and you you, you don't know it's there, the movie on HBO looks all weird, right. like everyone's moving. I was really looking for that and I was fully expecting it and my expectations were completely tendered and I didn't have, I just couldn't find any of that and I went to the IMAX show. It was you know, I I didn't go to a regular uh, non-3D show of it, so it, it wasn't like it was missing. It was it must have been there, but I just couldn't I couldn't find it. I, I, I didn't feel it. I think it was the way it was filmed, too. I mean, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, like, soap operas. Or if you watch the early Doctor Who or anything from the BBC, yeah. you know, filmed during the... It was all filmed on video, so it had a higher quality and frame rate. And we got used to watching, like, ALF, yeah. as you may have mentioned earlier. And we're used to the standard definition, standard, what is it, like, 15 frames per second, which is, the I think... Cinematic? In, uh, like, television. Oh, television is it's more than fifteen. It's, well, it's the higher frame rate because uh, it's a you, you get more information in there. I, I believe it's I believe it is closer to, to thirty. Okay. Uh, cinematic is is fifteen frames per second. That's the original thirty five millimeter. Well, the point presentation. is, you could definitely tell there's something different. You tell there's something different in the two. It was always kind of almost like sort of jarring is a strong word, but. When you first see it and experience it, like, wow, why, why does this look so weird to me? And it's the same thing like you're describing. When you see a movie that's, uh, you know, um, upgraded for your TV and it's not meant to be that way, it's going to look weird. But you have a movie that, I mean, he went in there knowing what he wanted to do. He went in there knowing that he's going to have this incredibly high definition, this incredible frame rate. Everything had to be crystal clear and crisp. Yeah. Well, he shot in 4K and that's not even really... Available to most of the public yet. You right. know, we're not going to have 4K TVs in in homes at a reasonable retail cost for the next like 15 years. I'm sure. Well, that's that's the point. Is that yeah. he wants he wanted to be at the forefront of the next generation of what we're going to do uh, movie wise. I think so, so he can keep selling it to us over and over again. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that. <clears throat> uh, speaking of new movies and all that, did you hear they started filming Godzilla last week? Uh, I was aware that there was a new Godzilla being produced. Is this um, the Japanese studio who's responsible nope. for the originals? It's a new one? Something nope. new? Toho uh, finished filming Godzilla movies for the time being. Uh, they ended with the um, Godzilla Final Wars, which is sort of the new Destroy All Monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was fantastic. I absolutely loved Final Wars. Uh, it was cheesy, and it was great, and it was everything a Godzilla movie should be. Just lots of monsters, lots of chaos, lots of you know wacky stuff going on. But it was really good, really fun. Uh, this is a new movie, uh, American-made by Legendary Pictures, being directed by Gareth Edwards, who is the guy who wrote, directed, and produced the movie Monsters. Oh, okay. That's sitting on my Netflix queue, and it has been for quite some time, and I'm looking forward to watching that. Uh, but I haven't found the right moment. Um so something along the lines of a District 9 quality film, you're thinking? Um, no, I, I, what he said is that he wants to bring it back into the original. Okay. So he wants to have some kind of, you know, uh, man-made monster, just like the original Godzilla was. Okay. Uh, the good things coming out of it so far is uh, Gareth Edwards having made monsters, he understands the fact that you need more than one. Which is one of the major flaws of the previous American Godzilla 4, right? I mean, there are many, many major flaws in that movie. But um, they've also... Yeah, Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Those are the two biggest ones. Yeah. Um, they are... From what they showed at uh, San Diego Comic-Con last year, Legendary did a little preview. And it was just like a three-minute uh, uh, preview. What it was is you just saw just destruction... And you saw something moving through, like, the uh, 
uh, going back, mm-hmm. uh, we are both obviously. Uh, we've said it. Well, I've said it before, so it's obvious to anybody who's listened to the podcast. We're in the New York City area. Uh, Frankie and I were both around for 9/11. So you remember when the towers fell, and the, just for days, it was just a haze of just dust hanging over Lower Manhattan. Uh, I don't know if you actually went down there at any point during all that, but you've seen the pictures. We saw the newscasts. Um, so it was that effect. You're just going through a city, and it's just that dusty haze just hanging in the air. Mm-hmm. You see something moving in the background. All of a sudden, you see another monster sort of just laying prone. And then out of the dust, you just hear, you know, the Godzilla scream. Yeah. And you just see, like, the Godzilla shape just sort of, like, come, sort of come into view. And it's very classic Godzilla looking. Cool. A bit spikier, a bit spinier, but mm-hmm. very otherwise uh, traditional oh, in good. terms of not going to reinvent. Uh, Another yeah, I think monster. that's going to be you know that's like key. Gecko. If they've learned anything in it's not really recent past, but if they've learned anything in the past, uh, don't try to reinvent Godzilla too drastically. He's he's too beloved and iconic. You don't you don't fuck with iconic stuff, right? Oh, can I say fuck on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is uh, as we discussed in the first R rated uh, daddy level podcast. <laughs> All right, so um. Yeah, and that's actually a, a relatively decent segue because what I wanted to try and do from this point on in the podcast is have uh, episodes where we actually focus on specifics, um, specific subjects. Uh, it's it's really hard for myself and most of my friends to actually focus on a uh, time sensitive sort of. Uh, Did you dog. let the dogs out? Was it you? No, it wasn't me. Oh. Like a time-sensitive podcast where, like, all right, we got to hit this this segment, then this. And like, I'd rather just meander along on a conversation, but at least try to give us focused. You know, on, this is on, us letting you in on the magic of podcasting. It's still new. It's still new. <laughs> you can make fun of me all you want, Mister. Oh, I've been doing the Digital Press podcast for blah blah blah. Well, this is only our seventh episode, our seventh official episode. So you're catching up on us. It only took us two years to get to ten episodes. Holy Christ! Well, I'm gonna we're try slow. To, we're slow. I'm gonna try and do one at the absolute least every two weeks. Um, but this week I wanted to focus on a subject that it's hard for me to really talk to with anybody because, so far as I know, with all the crazy film fans and video game geeks and all that that I know, I don't really know anybody else who watches like has a has a has a affinity for. The old horror and sci-fi of like the 50s, 40s, 60s. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, talk to you about today. Um, well, you're going to be talking to me about it. Because I do not promise that I am exceptionally well-versed in this. But I will try and keep up and I will be happy to uh, be a sponge for you to, to educate on 50s and 60s classic horror. <laughs> Well, you've seen This Island Earth. I have, thanks to um, Mystery Science, Science Theater, Theater 3000, <laughs> the movie, which incidentally I saw in theaters in its original theatrical run, uh, one theater of close to 30, I think, across the country that may have been playing it in the first week that it was out, or, or some minuscule number. It was a, it was a really It was, amount. I mean, even by independent distribution standards, it was... A very short run film in theaters, uh, and thank God they re-released that sucker on DVD because oh, I was no. not going to pay the hundred dollars that they were asking for the first printing of that. Oh, but I, yes, this Island Earth uh, classic. That's it. Sure. That's just a great, great movie. And now it, you know, the wonderful advent of rubbery monsters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the thing I love most about the older films is just the amount of imagination. That went into having to create these monsters. Uh, I recently, uh, everybody, we're recording the week of the what is it, the twenty seventh today, March twenty seventh. Y- yes. And yesterday, everybody, I'm sure if you have a Facebook account, you've seen people with the equals, the, the red and pink equal signs all over the place. And was that yesterday or two days ago? Uh, it's still going on. Yeah. The Supreme Court hearings on uh, <clears throat> same sex marriage. Oh, is that? What, I didn't even know what it's about. I kind of like. You just I, thought people were really into math. No, I, I knew what it was about. I didn't know. I didn't read too much into it, just because equality in marriage. 
you know what? The, okay, that's I knew that that's what it was about. I didn't know there was a Supreme Court hearing. Mm-hmm. My thing is, I, I get so many politically minded people, and everybody has something to say about something. It just sort of for me and the way I operate, yeah. I, I get jaded really fast. I'm and right I just, there with you. I I don't wear my uh, political affiliations and anything else like that on my sleeve, and I certainly don't make a point of publishing them on my Facebook page where I, you know, go to interact with friends and have a good time. But that's just me. And if people want to use their internet uh, time like that, that's up to them. I am in support of same-sex marriages, and I do support uh, everything that everyone is rallying for right now. But instead of an equal sign, I changed my profile picture to a uh, image of Christopher Lowell, who some of you might know as the extremely gay... Uh, party and uh, design guy from, I believe it was uh, Home and Garden Network in the 90s. <laughs> You'd know him if you saw him. He's great. And I support him in all of his gayness. <laughs> um, well, I, I decided to be sassy and made mine into the, uh, you know, the black flag symbol. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. I made a black flag version. So uh, you support Henry flag. Rollins, right? <laughs> exactly. To marry Glenn Danzig. Right. Henry and Glenn forever. And create little muscular, angry metal babies. <laughs> if it was possible. Who, who would give birth? I think they would probably just who, say some incantation and, yeah. and a spawn would appear. Like Hellboy would appear. You don't think there's a bitch and a butch in that relationship? <sighs> well, Glenn's got the long hair. But Henry Henry's definitely more sensitive. He's, he's smart and sensitive. I think Glenn would... would bend him over but probably an infamous internet meme is glenn danzig walking out of the supermarket with his arms full of kitty food and litter i haven't seen that oh, i gotta check that's that a great picture um but anyway today i'm just like you know i'm, I'm just i attention span of a new i got really tired really fast of the uh of the of the pink and red symbols everywhere and i'm like well let me just change it what am i gonna change it to i don't feel like putting another picture of myself up Oh, here's an awesome picture of the hideous sun demon, which was a movie that came out, I think, in 1953. Um, kind of looks like the um, fungus creatures from Sony's upcoming game, um, The Last of Us. I haven't heard of that. Oh, it's by um, it's Naughty Dog's next next title, and it, it looks it's like a combination of um, the Cormac McCarthy's The Road and Uncharted. Oh, I think I have seen that. Man, I didn't realize that was Glenn. I, I thought that was the honky-tonk man. <laughs> WWF. That's kind of what he looks like these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. <laughs> that's, that's Christopher Lowell. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that guy. We were just looking at I just pulled up a couple of funny pictures of Glenn Danzig with the, with the kitty litter. Go Google it. It's... If if you are a Misfits or Sam Hain or just simply Danzig fan, you know anything about, or if you've seen that episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, where yeah. he moves in next door, right? Because that was it. The house was full of blood or something. That's like right, that? because of the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the robot chicken ghost. Yes. So, um, the thing about the hideous sun demon. One thing I've always loved about the movie, and I think I, I want to say they actually did a mystery science theater. No, there was a movie that came out in the early eighties. Starring like all the Saturday Night Live crew, uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Gilda Radner, Cheech and Chong. They made this movie called It Came From Hollywood. And they profiled that movie quite a bit in there. It was a very cheesy movie. It was made for something in the vein of $5,000. $5,000 to $50,000. It was a really cheap Hollywood science fiction movie. Between uh, five and 50, that's quite. That's, that's a... I'm just. It was made over the process of, I think, like. like two or three months and the guy would only rent the camera on the weekends because he could get a discount on it and he paid $500 for the rubber suit that was made but the funny thing is is that you know back in the old Hollywood days once again I, it was all imagination it was all you know a lot of this stuff hadn't been done I mean um, you could say oh it was all atomic monsters and science and blah 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 but at least the monsters were interesting I think because uh, this monster, if you look up the hideous sun demon, you'll find tons of pictures on Google. It's become a pretty iconic image uh, in terms of those 50s rubbery monsters. You also have stuff like, um, uh, oh gosh, it, it came from outer space. 
which was sort of a which was an interesting movie because in the movie you never really see the monster. That's what I like, and that's where I was going to go with this. As great as any of these iconic '50s monsters were, um, and they gave early special effects artists a, an outlet to be creative and and create iconic uh, imagery. I will always take a guy like Hitchcock who kept the monsters off screen. You know, I think that's really exciting. Or give you just a glimpse. Or, like, don't have them, like, shambling on camera for a minute. Like, give you just enough to kind of make out something terrifying and then, you know, cut away for lack of, you know, whatever whatever you have to do. That's, that's you know, because the scariest monsters are in our head. Right, exactly. I, I, was it Hitchcock who actually said it's it's not what you see that frightens you, but what you don't see? Right. Yeah. It's it's the what it's, you don't see is what's truly scary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if you, you know, know that that there's something malevolent out there trying to trying to get you. <laughs> and then there's always something to get you. What about um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? That's one that's that's heavy oh. on, you know, the, the the monsters being the people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people are the people are the real monsters, right? If we we know from our great modern zombie uh, film history and and television now, it's the people that are the ones you really got to watch out for in the apocalypse, not the monsters. Yeah, well, my actual favorite version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers has to be, I think, it was the nineteen seventy eight one with Donald Sutherland. Oh, really? Have you seen that? Um, I have. That's that's an interesting one, yeah. Possibly one of the creepiest science fiction horror movies ever made. Oh, it's so well done. The pacing. The 70s just had, I think, in terms of horror, I think the 70s had the strongest feel for just really getting under your skin in the terms of, let's just, like, mess with people, you know? And that movie just, there was a lot of punches that could have been pulled... They just, they just didn't. They just wanted to creep you out, freak you out. There was this one scene where um, there are people all just milling around. Everybody's like freaking out. And they got the two people who were not the pod people yet. And they see a dog. And the dog looks up at them. And it's got a human face. <laughs> and that is, to this day, still one of the freakiest things in the world. Because it, I can't even... I've done special effects work. I've sculpted full headpieces out of like foam rubber and silicone and just you know the only thing I could think of is they found a dog with just the right shaped head <laughs> to make this this thing it just it's the creepiest thing because it looks up at them and just kind of like licks its lips and it looks like an actual man's face and it just oh creeped the hell out of me yeah I love those haunting images that you know it's so hard to recapture those moments from when your brain is still developing, when you're, I don't know, between five and ten, and imagery, there's still things you may have been. I mean, if if you're a suburban teen or a suburban kid, like like we may have been, where we may have been shielded from uh, terrifying images, and when you go to see something like a horror movie for the first time, I mean, maybe this isn't even possible anymore. Maybe this is just a product of the '70s and the '80s when we grew up. Where we didn't have cable TV, we didn't have the internet, and you know we we didn't have the opportunity to accidentally stumble across this kind of imagery. So you go to a film like this, or you happen to see someone watching a film like this on television, and you see that kind of thing for the first time, and it burns into your memory, burned like you'll never forget that stuff. Yeah, I I, th- I think also in more recent times, films got a lot safer. Like, when we were kids, I don't think the Dark Crystal these days would be marketed to, you know, we were, what, seven, eight years old when that, I was seven, eight years old when that came out. Or Time Bandits. Oh, yeah, Time Bandits, definitely. Not that that's a horror film, and not not even that Dark Crystal is a horror film, but those have elements in them that that can be considered pretty terrifying imagery. I mean, you got, you know, a mind like Terry Gilliam, I would expect, no less from, and um, Dark Crystal Henson, I mean... Henson had a really dark edge to him. He could, you know, he was a, originally his theater of, of puppetry was for adults. He started yeah. his show as a as like a, a dinner theater, a cabaret type thing with his uh, Muppets before it was a children's show. 
Well, that's what he actually said when he started Sesame Street, was he wanted to create a show for children that adults could watch as well. You know, and if you watch Sesame Street, like the old Sesame Street, the new one is just complete cotton candy <laughs> fluff. Uh, I, I watched it with my son. I just, I'm like, oh, this is awful. I, you know, <laughs> why can't I get the classic episodes on TV? You mean but they've stopped like running like Me and My Llama on, on like the, I don't on even the know new ones? The, the, the kid with his llama like going through Manhattan? No? No, I never saw llama? that. No. no. That's just one of those. It's like mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was just one of those oh, bits right. that they would always run between the Muppet type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that. Well, I mean, I, I know what you mean there, but I don't think I've ever seen that that particular skit. Look it up, me and my llama. It's <laughs> out there. I mean, you don't have to look it up now. No, I'm not going to look it up now. Kids, go to YouTube. I'm sure you'll find it. Sesame <laughs> Street, me and my llama. <laughs> well, I remember one with a a girl, like a little claymation girl, counting clams on the beach. That was kind of like weird, and she like oh, she holds this one clam up, and it's tongue sort of thing just go and she just like looks surprised and just it was the creepiest sort of image this little claymation girl goes with her tongue and i'm just like oh <laughs> the kids that are exposed to that kind of imagery i think are are fortunate i think you know you, you can't you can't not expose them to, to creative artistic bizarre absurd things when they're young that that really will shape their mind in a positive way. I, I I completely believe that. I think so as well. Like, uh, I think the safety net has gotten a bit too tight in terms of like what we will and will not. I mean, and as a dad, you know, I just, I, and, I understand. It ebbs and flows too. I think there are things that, you know, it things get very sanitary and very controlled sometimes. But then, you know, there's stuff that slips through that becomes wildly popular. And if it makes a lot of money, that typically doesn't, you know that that that's a great uh, way for it to to be acceptable. You know, it's like I wish I could come up with an example, but I mean, I mean Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure, Pirates of the Caribbean, or or even the Harry Potter books and and things where there's legitimate instances of, of popular characters maturing and even dying, um, and and all kinds of you know, terrifying things that occur, but you've got kids at like a, um, you know, first and second grade reading level that are interested in that stuff and, and going through it. And it's great. I think it's really great. Well, the vampire from Twilight died in Harry Potter. Yes, he did. <laughs> but then he came back as a vampire in Twilight and ruined everything. But does that mean he actually didn't die? Was he a vampire the whole time and Harry just thought he was dead? He died in Harry Potter, but came back as a Mormon and then... <laughs> had lots of vampire wives it was weird i mean do you think the avada Kedavra could work on vampires yeah it should it should work on any living creature if you're going in by the harry potter universe rules vampires aren't alive uh, yeah but it, they're undead it it eliminates the life force of whatever creature that you cast that spell at it so that's why it's one of the uh forbidden ones if wizards un- fight unspeak. zombies do they have to aim for the head there are, you know, the Harry Potter universe <laughs> has all of that stuff. Like, J.K. Rowling crammed every bit of popular fantasy fiction in there. It's got everything. It's got literally zombies and vampires and werewolves and... But I don't remember zombies in it. They, they're they mentioned. I mean, they're definitely, you know, the dark arts is... Uh, there's encyclopedias and whatnot. Even if it's not a part of the of the main fiction, there's definitely reference to them in there you can you can count on anything that we know as high fantasy it's it's in there somewhere it's in there it's in there and that's what she was great at at distilling all that popular stuff and and you know so much of the potter stuff felt like a little bit of uh roll doll or um you know uh, uh alice in wonderland uh, uh, i I don't know why I keep thinking Lewis Winwell. Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll. Yeah, Lewis a little Carole. guy's got a loose, little Lewis Carroll in there. You got a little Edgar Allan Poe in there. You got all kinds of neat stuff in there. You know, she, like any great writer, is, in, is heavily influenced by other great writers. Speaking of uh, throwing everything out there and in there, I have, uh, you've been watching Supernatural? Have you? I don't think you, you said you haven't watched it at all. I do not watch Supernatural, no. Oh, it's such a great show. I'm going to the uh, Supernatural convention on May 3rd, the weekend of May 3rd. Is it a super con or a natural con? What do they call it? Supernatural. Supernatural con? con? I guess. It's kind of boring. Yeah, maybe. Soup con? <laughs> soup can? Soup nat con? 
<laughs> super well supernaticon well that's anyway that's what i like about that show and that's why you may want to check it out they really do cover everything yeah they have show. like the the tobin spirit guide of of everything that you know, yeah, all the, I mean, all the bad stuff. they go up against werewolves, uh, uh, genies. Uh, you know, the first few seasons is basically like the first few seasons of X Files, where they just go along and find all these random sort of like cryptozoological, uh, mythical beasts and beings and stuff. Uh, and they still do it to an extent now, although they've gotten a lot more story arky. Um, but it, it's it's really really enjoyable. I quite love it. Cool. So much for classic horror movies. Let's get back on track, man. Yes, yes. Pull it we'll back. That, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. That's what we got to do. Let's pull it back. Okay, pull it back. Pull it back. So, um, <clears throat> going back even further, we'll go to Godzilla. Uh, I think it was the, the Toho Company uh, had made a movie, and I just finally got myself a new copy of it. I had, lo- I had had it on VHS. I hadn't watched it in so long. I, I found a, uh, a really sort of crappy quality version online. But there was a movie called The Green Slime that came out in the 70s, made by Toho during their Godzilla days, where it was about, the story was these, it was kind of like the story of uh, Armageddon, or which was the one where they go out and they blow up the asteroid in space? Both Armageddon and Space Cowboys. Okay. So that's the general setup. The the astronauts guess there was an asteroid coming towards Earth. The astronauts went to the asteroid to go blow it up before it hit the Earth. And they launch out of this space station. Excuse me. So when they're on the asteroid, they get this little green slime, you know, attaches to their equipment and suits, and they go back to the space station, they blow up the asteroid, the Earth is saved, so they think. Uh, As they go into their radiation decontamination area the energy starts to be fed into this green slime and they turn into these like sort of just like overturned trash can lumpy monsters with big tentacle arms that have sparklers on the end the people do the green slime monsters oh okay and there's just tons of them it's just really awesome cool i have to check that one out yeah the 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 japanese um horror and sci-fi stuff was really visually interesting always even when it was incredibly goofy um they were always seemed to be at the forefront of being creative and you know much like their uh, mytho- mythological creatures are always really interesting looking yeah yeah in, in both uh, i mean all the asian uh, mythologies in japan and china and you know the ghosts and the demons and the different things always look really not western at all like just completely crazy stuff. Crazy. Well, I also just recently saw a uh, Japanese horror film called Matango, the Mushroom People. Oh, uh, Attack of the Mushroom People. Okay. And that was just the weirdest. That one might actually be the influence of the uh, that game I was talking about, The Last of Us. I think they specifically mentioned that as one of their influences, where the people become evil fungus monsters and they have like... Their heads kind of look like busted open yeah. mushrooms. Yes, that is definitely the strongest visual influence for what happens in that game. It's it it looks great. So that's sure. a crazy coincidence. The fact that I finally I've been I I'd seen um, images and read articles throughout all these you know sci-fi movie rags that I've been read over the you know read over the years. These little um, fanzines that people had made about rare horror movies. Yeah. And I finally acquired a copy, and I sat down and I watched it. And it's 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 not the greatest movie in the world. It's interesting for right. what it is. It's fun to watch. It's not one of the things that I could watch over and over. Like I may, you know, a year from now, I'll be like, I feel like watching Matango, uh, and I'll watch it again. But it was definitely a really interesting movie, and I'm glad I finally saw it. But it's funny that you know I finally see this movie after so many years, and now you're telling me about this game. Oh yeah, you definitely based... have to check that out, man. And I take it. You've seen The Road, right? No. McCarthy. Oh my gosh. Viggo Mortensen. Come on. The King. It has the King in it. Is, that was the one where with him and his and his kid? Yes. Okay. I do intend to see that. That was kind of... Isn't that... Oh, gosh. Well, it's McCar- kinda, McCarthy like is... A, it's post-apocalyptic. Like Lone Wolf and Cub, sort of. Yes. It's very, yeah. it's very much um, a, a father and son surviving amidst 
tremendous emotional and physical hardships in this in this kind of somewhere between Mad Max and um, re- what real life probably would be if people were scrounging uh, for things and and you know dealing with the absolute worst of it. It's really intense. I mean, it's one of those ones that I love the film, but it's severe. It's pretty emotionally crushing every time you watch it. You know, I, I have to really, really be riding a an, emo, an emotional high to be able to put it in. If I watch it when I'm down, it's it's going to send me into into throes of, uh, of of depression for a little while. It's it's great though. It's really fantastic. And Mortensen, he's like method man. He just like get not method man the rapper, but he's a <laughs> method actor, comma man, and he really gets into the role. He starved himself like when he takes off his shirt uh and you see he's like skin and bones he did um kind of like uh what, what's his name did in the machinist um christian bell yeah what batman yeah. did in the machinist where he, he lets himself get like emaciated i need to get skinny or tom hanks and Castaway. like they really you know it's it's oh man it's a great film and this is the the, the marriage of those two things in this game um the last of us where the main character is protecting a young girl. It's not his actual daughter, but they're going through together. So you're kind of on this like escort mission and people are all out for themselves. Who are you going to trust? Um, you know, lots of really crazy stuff happening. And then you've got these, these fungus monsters that kind of react like the monster, the, uh, shit tastic, um, Will Smith version of Omega man or whatever it was called. I am legend. I am legend. Which right. I, I honestly really like, Oh God, Will Smith, I, come I, I've, on. I've read the book. I've seen every version of that movie. Omega Man is one of my favorite films. It just It's one of my favorite Saturday afternoon it's, movies. Uh, yeah, Omega Man's better. It's <clears throat> better than... La- uh, it's, than Omega Man is so far I from the actual it. novel. It's just... The, okay, the, the, the original novel, I Am Legend, was first made into a movie called The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price, mm-hmm. which is relatively co- close to the book. Right. Uh, closer than anything else has gotten. Mm-hmm. The story is, uh, you know, this plague hits hits the earth, and um, you know this this character Neville is this sort of like he's got himself holed up in his house, and you know he he only sleeps during the day, just like you see in the movies. Uh, during, you know, I'm sorry, he only sleeps at night, whatever. During the daytime, he goes out and hunts these creatures. Uh, he thinks he's trying to survive these monsters, but what he comes to realize is that the entire world is the monsters. Uh, rather, the entire the monsters have become the entire world, and he, in turn, has become the monsters. And he is such a powerful creature that manages to destroy so many of them that he is legend. He is the right. Alpha and the Omega. He is legend. You know? Right, right, right. He's the beginning and the end. Like he's, just, he started the plague. Will and he was Smith. the last. I can't. I, I like Will Smith. I can't. Can't do it. I can't bring myself to take him seriously. He's just. I mean, he's great in certain things, mostly comedy. You seen Pursuit of Happiness? Uh that's going way off the mark. I, fantastic film. I did. I. Him trying very hard. I think I don't all right, know. All right. It's not not my not my <clears throat> thing. Not not him. Well, anyway, I enjoyed it. Watch the road. Okay, I will. Speaking of emotionally crushing and going back to imaginative monsters, there's a movie called The Mist. Tell me you've seen that. Are we talking about the Frank Darabont film? Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's perhaps my favorite adaptation of a Stephen King horror film. Uh, and Darabont, Darabont is masterful at giving us endings that are just intense and memorable and some of the greatest film endings of all time come from Frank Darabont. Uh, And the ending of The Mist is actually, for those who don't know, and I'm not going to spoil anything, Stephen King... The Mist is a short story that was originally featured in uh, Graveyard Shift, uh, I believe. Uh, was it Graveyard Shift? No, Night Night Shift. Night. 
a, a collection of short might, stories. I think it might be Graveyard Shift. Graveyard Shift. I've, I've never been a big fan of King. I read well, a lot, but King has always been it's a of, It's a short yeah. story in, in an anthology that King wrote. I believe it's Graveyard Shift. And it does not have a resolute ending. That's as far as I'm going to go with spoiler. But the film ending, Darabont wanted to adapt this, and he said, I, I need to make an ending for this film to give the viewers something to chew on. And he wrote this ending that, that most people who've seen the film think is in, intense, whether they love it or they hate it. It's, it's, it's fucking intense. He showed King the script. And he said, what do you think? I need, I kind of need your approval. Not so much because I'm not going to do this if you don't like it, but I, I need you to kind of read this and tell me what you think. And King read it and he said, there was, there's no way that I would be brave enough to write this ending. So Stephen King thinks that Frank Darabont's ending is something that he could not have done. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's a spectacular film. And Darabont, again, gives us that classic, the monsters, there, there are terrifying monsters in the mist, but they're literally feral. They're just animals. Like, they're just... Acting on instinct. The people in the mist are the monsters. Oh, absolutely. They are the ones... There's a great line in the film that Toby Jones' character says, you put more than two people in a room, they're going to divide up and figuring out ways to kill each other. And that's essentially what happens. Lord of the Flies, yeah. Yeah. But, turning it back around, going back into the video game realm, uh, one of the characters in the mist was... uh, uh, like the the soldier boy that was home. Oh, right. right. Yeah, he's in the Force Unleashed. Game. Yeah, Sam Witwer. Yeah, he was yeah. in the Force Unleashed. He was a character of The Apprentice. Uh, he was also in um, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I didn't see any yeah. of those new ones. Oh, it was great. But um, yeah, we've been we've been talking for a bit now, so uh, I think we've we've covered a good amount of a good amount of just random randomness. Sure, and we even talked about some of the things we were trying to focus on. Classic <laughs> horror movies. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we brought it around to The Mist, because that's definitely one of my modern uh, favorite horror films. Um, and, it, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but most recently, I mean, this is not a classic. This is definitely a modern. Um, and it's, in my opinion, one of the best exercises in the found footage genre. Have you seen VHS? I have not. Oh my that, god! That man. is on my watch list, dude. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And the for anybody who hasn't seen VHS, again, it's anthology. You've got five short stories, one framing, four actual short stories, maybe fifteen minutes each, uh, found VHS tapes. And the great thing about this, I I, I can't bring myself to like films like. Or, or really enjoy or get my heart into a film like Paranormal Activity because they ask us to give a shit about these immensely unlikable characters and carry these serialized story arcs through four films where by the end of the first film, you are absolutely... There's no way that you can care about these people that make so many stupid decisions. <laughs> VHS, much like... Here's a classic from the 80s, Creepshow. Oh, yes. The stories give you just enough time to deal with whatever's going on and not get deeply emotionally invested in whatever these characters are. You know, they're just quick beats of, here's some people, this is what's happening, somebody gets killed, things, crazy killing monsters, things happen, that's it. You... you you have the, the meat and potatoes. Mm. VHS has those meat and potatoes. But the second story, second honeymoon, haunting, haunting imagery in the final few moments of that one. The whole movie's great. The second story is where you're going to have all of your memories, or you should if you're a sane human being. The last moments of the second story in VHS are brilliantly intense. So check that one out. Well, I, I've still not streaming on Netflix. I've still not ever seen a movie that will come close to as much intensely disturbing imagery as Salo, the 120 Days of Sodom. If, I haven't seen that. Don't. 
most I don't I don't think I've I've been able to I don't think I know more than three people who've actually seen it, and a can get through it much less can watch it a second time. It's it's uh, Paolo Pasolini who's a oh, Italian film director. Yeah, those Italians in there and crazy. It, it's horror. just an intensely just go look it up on Wikipedia. Don't go out to watch it right away unless you really just want to ruin your own night. Um, that being said, I know you you may think that uh, we had to focus a little bit on the 50s and 60s high sci-fi horror movie, but I was just using that as a launching off point, and I think we uh, I think we uh, had a good time, covered a lot of info. Oh, I know I had a good time. I had a good time. Those moments, Mason. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. You can you can edit that part out, right? No. Okay. <laughs> I was fine. I'll I was, do it. I was no, I won't. I was gonna say I had mostly had a good time because your hand was down my pants. Well, I mean, we are alone on the couch. That's not but a sleeping kitty betwixt us. Yeah, your cat's sleeping. It's it's the dulcet sounds of Frankie's voice. Uh, yeah, I, I put I put things to sleep. It's like a magic power. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for listening once again. Uh, tune in next time. Uh, bye. Uh, bye. Bye. I, I still need a closer. We st- I still need a closer. I don't I don't have one. We had one where we were saying put the magic in your mouth, but I don't know. I kind of fell out of love with that one. What do you think? You got anything for us? All your nerd base belonged to us. Somebody else tried that. Oh, I think it was Brian with his uh with with the my cow. He he does that all your base. It's too generic, I think. Okay. Are we are we editing all this out or is there we No, no, this is this fine. just gonna stay in? Yeah, sure. Anybody who's still listening, go back to work. Is this the, Keep your eyes on the road. It's the Ferris Bueller. Stop listening. Go home. Go home. Go away. This podcast was actually done in a shower. I've got shampoo in my hair, and I've got the little mohawk going on right now. Just like Ferris Bueller. Man, talk about a guy who doesn't age. Matthew Broderick. He doesn't age. But he did get to 98. Yeah. Yeah. He should should be euthanized, probably, for that. Goodbye, everybody.